Fernando Rizzo, what is your favorite game? My favorite game is XCOM Enemy Unknown, the 1994 one. Not that I don't love the new one, but the 1994 one is my favorite game. <laughs> That's a good, solid intro. I like that. <laughs> good, solid intro. Precise, clear, to the point. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I try to avoid ambiguity as much as possible. Good. <laughs> first get into playing games i mean i was uh a kid who moved around a lot and um as a result i was always a kid sort of new in the neighborhood weird accent so probably had a harder time uh making friends than a lot of other kids so my friends were books and computers right um, my dad uh got us a because i'm old so i we had like an old texas instruments computer um in the early 80s and the first thing i wanted to do was figure out how to play games on it and, and, and to my dad's credit him too right my dad also wanted to figure out how to play games on it so my dad and i would play games like got like parsec and stuff on that old texas instruments machine and we graduated to uh, a Nintendo Entertainment System, um, and you know Sega Genesis, and 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 then started building PCs and stuff. So my, I mean, my dad was kind of my partner in crime for a lot of this stuff. But I also did things like you know, I'd buy tabletop games and play them by myself, and you know, play games solitaire and stuff. So I um, I've I basically have always loved games, always loved games, and um, always knew that I wanted to kind of work my way into the games industry somehow but uh, i spent a lot of time playing games as a kid and when xcom came out i guess i was 14 or 15 and it was just kind of an incredible revelation for me i'd never played anything like it and and i still play it now 10 billion years later um every once in a while because it's still it's still it lives in my brain rent free and always will. What what sort of like, you mentioned the sort of how you and your father just sort of really into games. Like were there any games that you would sort of play together? Yeah, I mean we, my dad and I like I I played a lot of games on my own for sure in, in my mm. free time. But when my dad was around, my dad would want to play games with me, and I, um, like Legend of Zelda on NES, which is not a multiplayer game, right? Like most of the games my dad and I played together were not multiplayer games. But like we played the original Legend of Zelda hmm. on the NES together, and we would do that by, you know, my dad basically just sitting next to me, thinking, "Oh, have you tried this? Have you gone this way? 
kind of ooing and aahing as I made my way through the the dungeons and, and the overworld and stuff. Like, g- games that had a lot of puzzles um, were great for me and my dad because they would be a thing that we could crack together. Um, and it was it was great. I have a lot of really fond memories of of playing games w- with my pops, and it's I think it's still it's still an important part of my relationship with them. Like we still. Um, I buy him a game every couple of years because that's the other thing. My dad's, I don't know if that's a thing of his generation or of just my dad, but like he goes through games at this glacial pace. Like he'll, I bought him Starcraft 1 in like 1999 or whatever that was. And he played Starcraft 1 for like five years. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I don't need to, I, and like not multiplayer, right? Like I'm not, my dad wasn't like an esports champ at Starcraft. No. He was just playing the campaign over and over again. So, yeah. I'm guessing I can get. I'm guessing you didn't buy him StarCraft two until like Legacy of the Void had come out, and even then, <laughs> still it's still taking us time. Yeah, no, <laughs> haven't I haven't even had to go there yet. I, I should. Probably, that's actually that's a good idea for his birthday, Johnny. I'm gonna get him StarCraft two. There we go. So, uh, something sorted for his birthday anyway. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Very good choice. Anyway, StarCraft 2. I really love that game. Or at least while I've played it. Anyway, I still yet to touch any of the expansions. That's okay. My dad will get to the expansions sometime around 2040. <laughs> so don't worry. You'll, you'll, you'll beat him to it, I'm sure. Um, would it be fair to say um, that it was during that period where... Was it, was, it, was it him that sort of introduced you to strategy games like XCOM or even stuff like Sonic and the Long Lines Off, I say, a StarCraft or you know games like them yeah i'm you know i'm not sure i'm not sure now if i came into strategy games independently and dad came along or if he introduced me to them i mean i think the first strategy game computer game anyway that got played a lot in our house well actually no i take it back we played a lot of strategy games on the nes like and on the on the genesis like they're uh koei the japanese publisher koei yeah. made tons of great strategy games for Nintendo and for Sega Genesis. Um, mm. Like Aerobiz, where you ran an, an airline and stuff. I, play, I played the hell out of that. Um, so I'm not sure, yeah, I'm not sure if, if it was me that got dad into strategy games or the other way around, but like, you know, not to mm. jump ahead, but like playing XCOM, like my dad and I also treated XCOM and still do like a multiplayer game, right? Like, sitting down mm. like i'll sit and watch him play and be like oh here's what you should do in this situation dad um and then he'll ignore me and get his guys all killed or whatever but like that's yeah we still do that we still you know even now in our advanced age we'll still play single player strategy games together when, I, when i'm home with my dad <laughs> i'm just picturing the two of you just sort of having a multiplayer match of civilization <laughs> No, yeah, no, I mean, it would be so weird because we've never done it, right? Like, really? Play... I would have figured you yeah. would have done it by now. No, like that's it. Like we play board games. Um, like I, we, we we play Twilight Struggle and stuff every once in a while when uh, when I'm home. But like, that's it. Like we don't tend to compete against each other. We tend to just be uh, a consultant for the other one. Basically, that's our <laughs> that's our experience of playing games together. So not even, like, stuff like co-op on recent games? No, no. I mean, because, like, the, the thing is, right, like, for, for a guy who's been into computers as long as he is, my dad isn't super tech savvy, so I, I feel like mm. 
the process of getting him into a, a, a an online multiplayer match of Civ might be too onerous for him. I think he might get frustrated and give up. But I, you know what? We should try it. Actually, we should try it. Go for it. Like there, 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 there cannot be at the at the at the borderline worst. There cannot be a scenario where it doesn't come out at least funny and hilarious. Yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely true. I mean, that could be uh, that could be a spin-off podcast for you. My, my, dad and I, my dad and I playing Civ. That would be a good spin-off podcast. <laughs> Pitch me on that if you got yeah, a proper yeah, I idea. Yeah, I might do. I just opened a word doc. <laughs> How I got into the games industry, like my career is weird and serpentine, and I always kind of struggle to articulate how I got into the industry and and I never want people to try and follow my career path because I got into the games industry through sheer luck and just brutish determination I think um I um I I started sort of my professional career in marketing advertising PR I worked for uh, agencies in New York and in London, and I was pretty good at that. Uh, but agency life is hard, um, very high stress, it's very high pressure, and uh, nobody really kind of lasts forever in that world, unless you're a proper masochist, and I wasn't really, unfortunately. Um, so after after ten years in kind of marketing and and uh, PR agencies, advertising agencies. I um, I told my girlfriend at the time, my wife now. I told her, look, I'm gonna quit my job, and I've got some money, a little bit of money. I'm gonna take that money. And I'm gonna live off of it while I try to brute force my way into the games industry because I know that I'm a great game designer. And she said, okay, that sounds like a terrible idea, but all right, go 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 do that. So I did that because. I knew I was an amazing game designer, and I designed some games and made them, and no one bought them because they were terrible, and I realized, oh shit, I'm not a great game designer after all, <laughs> as it turns out. Um, but I had, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I had this deep love for the, for the business, and, and I had all of this PR and advertising experience. Um, and really, the, the specialty that I had kind of fallen into uh, in the agency world was pitching. Like I, I was, um, I was my, my agency's pitch doctor. Like, you know, if, if you're, if you were pitching for, a, uh, Lee jeans or Kodak or, uh, eBay, you know, they'd fly me out to go coach the pitch team and, and help them, uh, get the pitch ready. So the thing that I realized was that Pitching is also a fundamental part of the games business, and a lot of folks are kind of clueless on how to do it. So once I realized that I wasn't a very good game designer, I thought, well, I could go into business development for indie studios, and I could help them pitch publishers, pitch platforms, um, help them negotiate contracts. Uh, you know, one one of the one of the funny things about the the, the indie games sort of milieu is that 
there is a tendency for people to wear lots of hats, right? Like you look at some indie studios and, you know, one guy's the level designer and the sound designer and the writer and the cutscene director and somebody else, she'll be the, the 3D modeler and the composer, right? Like everybody wears 10 hats. Mm. Um, but when it comes to the business side of things, like the getting a game ready to pitch and pitching the game out and then working out contract stuff with publishers, it's so millions of miles away from the stuff that you're good at if you're a good game developer. Mm -hmm. You might as well bring in somebody who's specialized in that to, to, to handle that for you. So I did that, I think, pretty successfully for, for a number of years for a lot of great indie studios like, like Miklo Studio in France and 2x2 two two Games in Croatia and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of how I got into indie games. And, um, and I'm still here now with run, running Modern Wolf uh publishing great strategy games from all over the world um and having a lot of fun doing it so that's me in a nutshell really and splash damage in the middle of that obviously as well splash damage in the middle of that yeah yeah so i mean uh i was very lucky uh to spend a few years at splash um seeing how the triple a side of things worked seeing how the, the the co-development side of things worked i mean while we were there we worked on Halo Master Chief Collection and Gears Tactics, uh, a bunch of other stuff that's still so secret I can't talk about it. Um, I was, you know, I was also I was the I was the the marketing director when we shut down Dirty Bomb. Um, so that was I wouldn't call it a fun experience, but it was. It was interesting and, and, and definitely edifying to have to sort of take a game out behind the woodshed and put it to sleep, right? So that was, that was an interesting challenge from a marketing standpoint. Hopefully I don't have to do that again, but I definitely learned from that. But like Splash was a great studio and I, I made a lot of friends there. I still have a lot of friends there. It's a wonderful place. Um, and I, I uh, have just the greatest admiration for, for all those guys. And how much of that time now from Splash and elsewhere just sort of helped inspire you to sort of set up Modern Wolf? Well, we already did um, that big long form piece uh, on Playgrounds <laughs> about sort of how the the genesis sort of, or well, not the genesis, but sort of ethos of what Modern Wolf is. But like, yeah, how how much did did those sort of experiences sort of impact and influence what would become Modern Wolf? Oh, I mean, just tons, right? Um, I mean, I think at Modern Wolf, we're, we are trying to be good guys. And we're trying to be ethical capitalists, <laughs> which I you know said, is... This is something... I'm just going to jump in here. This is something he said when we did that interview last year. Or not even last yeah. year. It's a year Two and a half ago now, like, yeah. at this point, uh, when we did that interview at EGX, he said ethical capitalists. And I just burst out laughing when he said it the first time. It's just like, that's a very good way of just basically selling modern world ethical capitalism. <laughs> I mean, look, like, there's, uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not a slavish devotee of, of capitalism, for sure. Like, I definitely see it for what it is, right? And I mm. think... And, and, and look, the objective of Modern Wolf, like the objective of any company, 
is to stay in business and, and, and make money. And absolutely, we're trying to do that because, you know, my investors would get very nervous <laughs> if I wasn't. But, you know, I, th I think and, and the people that work with me truly believe that the way to run a sustainable business in the long term is to treat people like people, be stand up in your practices, uh, and, and, and create sustainable relationships, right? That doesn't mean you don't mess things up. That doesn't mean that, you know, we haven't uh, had to make hard choices. We have, of course we have, right? Um, but we definitely are trying not to be predators. And the, you know, I covered this a bit when we talked uh, at EGX way back when, but like the fact that most indie devs don't work with the same publisher twice tells you a lot about the state of the relationship between devs and publishers. And we are, I think it's wasteful, frankly, right? Like you spend a lot of time getting to know a studio and, and the devs there making a game together. It stands to reason that if you make a second game with them, that game will be better because your relationship is stronger. If you make a third game, even more so. So the, the ethos of Modern Wolf is definitely rooted in the squishy, bleeding heart, liberal place that I come from. But it's also got uh, an underpinning of, of, of logic and, and business to it, right? Like I genuinely think that we'll be a better business long term because we take good care of our devs and we try to cultivate long-term relationships with them. So ask me in five years if it works. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny as well that you mentioned how there's so few, very few indie devs, you know, sticking around with, you know, publishers for a second or a third hmm. pop at the cherry. I find that fascinating because the thing that springs to mind immediately is how um, after we did that interview at EGX, uh, I don't know how long ago it was after, maybe three or six months uh, after, where after the success of Sayonara Wild Hearts, Samogu basically signed with Annapurna for another game or two, basically, for a multi-year deal. Like, it's, I mean, it's I, hear nothing, I hear nothing but good things about Annapurna. And I, I, I've talked to some of the guys there a couple of times. I, I get a great vibe from them. Uh, you know, I, I don't think we have a monopoly on trying to be good ethical publishers i think i think a lot of you know anna pertner trying to do that i know the raw fury guys are like uh, most of the mm. folks i i talk to nobody thinks they're a bad guy right it's just no. that i think i think for us it's a sort of front and center to to who we are and it's good i mean if lots of other publishers are doing that then that's only a good thing for the industry i think uh, I don't know which side this uh, episode is coming out on, but uh, we have uh, Kelsey Hansen of Annapurna coming on, and I'm just sort oh, of, cool. uh, uh, I'm just sort of reminding how much basically the both of us basically glossed over Annapurna at ETX at this point. No, I mean, they, I, yeah, they they remain one of my favorite publishers, right? Like they are, they are my favorite publisher right now at this yeah. point. Like it's no, no, they're... yeah, they they everything they 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 seem to have a great nose for games because everything they announce. Mm. I look at it and go, shit, that's that's a winner. I mean, yeah. it, it goes back to what we talked about at, at EGX. Like, not everything is going to, you know, like, because, like, you mentioned it yourself in terms of paradox. Not every game is going to personally attract to me, but about 99.9% mm. .9 of it definitely is. That feels yeah. like the same for me with Vanapurna. 
Yeah. But I, I mean, that's a crazy thing, right? Like, they're starting, like, they're, they're sort of, their catchment area is getting wider, right? Like, they're mm. doing stuff like Due Process that is such a departure from their other titles. But it feels, it feels right in their catalog. And I think mm. it's, it's probably easier to maintain that catalog discipline where, hey, we're about this uh, when you're doing it by genre, the way Paradox does and the way we're kind of trying to. Um, mm. The way Annapurna does it is kind of the way Devolver used to do it, where it's not all one genre, but it has a feel to it. And and it's hard to articulate precisely what that means, but you know it when you see it, right? Yeah, no, they're, they're, yeah, they're, doing, they're doing really good stuff, Annapurna. <laughs> So, let us talk about your favorite game, XCOM yes. Enemy Unknown, 1994, we're not talking about the 2012 version <laughs> yet, we will talk about it, but not as, excuse me, the focal point of this episode. So, this is actually the second time we've actually covered this game on the show. Um, oh wow. We did, so, this, when was the last time we did it? I think it was about nearly six years ago now, uh, for season two, so this is the first time we've had... Uh, uh, the 94 version, the Gollop version, uh, since then. So, it's interesting to sort of go back and talk about it again, and still not really have done a whole lot of legwork on it <laughs> in terms of playing it, because I'm a Solomon person, but we'll get that. <laughs> anyway, um, I can somewhat partially attest to uh, Fernando's sort of passion for XCOM because uh, we mentioned the, the interview that we did back at EGX yeah. a few years ago now um, for a site and um, uh, how you mentioned how XCOM was your favourite game and I just realised you know what I should bring this guy on for my favourite game because it'd be good <laughs> well here just, we are here we are here we, here we are here we are a year and a half to two years a year later. and a half yes yep <laughs> yep yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. I, I, XCOM is has always been my favorite. I don't think that answer that answer has changed much uh, since it came out. Really amazing! Like twenty twenty six twenty six twenty seven. Oh dear, sweet Jesus! I'm old now. I'm old. <laughs> Let's see. What is it? Uh, the twenty yeah twenty six years ago. Yes, that came out. Yeah. I am very old. This is the first, I think this is the first episode of my favorite game I've recorded since I turned 30. I'm just like, oh, fuck <laughs> me. We're talking about a game that's old enough to buy, like, health insurance. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. no. Don't yeah. say that. We are. We are indeed. Fuck. It's only, only slightly older than you. Or only slightly younger than you. So, yeah. Oh, dear God, no. No. Don't talk to me about being old. No, no, no. no. <laughs> oh. oh god, no. This is gonna turn me into dust practically like <laughs> like Peter Parker in Infinity War. Oh no. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Stark. <laughs> I don't feel so well. <laughs> uh, um We we did sort of allude to this um at the start of the show. Um just sort of talking about how you first sort of got into strategy games. Um, mm. But around the time 
um, XCOM 94 came out, um, it did feel like it was a sort of golden era for the genre at that time, because yeah. you, you, you did have XCOM, but like, um, yeah, Civilization just sort of starting to come into the world a little bit more, um, and then you had Laser Squad as well, before mm. what came with XCOM from Julian yep. Gollop, and obviously as well, Syndicate as well, um, oh, yeah, from yeah. Molyneux yeah. and uh, Bullfrog, yeah. pre-Starbreeze turning into a Admittedly, pretty decent FPS, but all the same, like, like talk, like talk about that golden era, because like it is, it is very, yeah, it feels very prevalent. I don't know, very prominent. Yeah, I mean, I think that was probably just a function of who owned PCs then, right? Um, if you owned a PC in the early '90s, you, you, you were probably slightly older. Unless you were, you know, uh, 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 a young nerd like me at the time, um, like the, I, 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 I guess just the audience for PC games probably skewed older, and uh, as a result, probably um, gravitated more towards slightly slower-paced games. Um, I think the kind of the rise of PCs as a platform for action games probably crosses over with sort of the proliferation of PCs kind of in the post-Windows 95 world um, where there's PCs in every, not in every home, but certainly in more homes and they're more accessible and they're less sort of hobbyist, I guess. So, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely, definitely feels like there was a golden age for strategy games then. Definitely, you know, um, Civ 2, uh, Civ 3, XCOM, the Bullfrog games, which were often strategy games, not always, but often for sure. Um, and yeah, it's, it's weird, because the, I mean, I remember when, and you, you, you might remember this too, I remember there was a, a 2K XCOM game announced in the sort of early 2000s. Do you remember this one? And it was a shooter. Oh, this is Jordan it, Thomas's game. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it eventually K-9. turned into the Bureau. And it had a very yes, stylish that, yes, trailer. Yes, yes, yes. I do remember. And, yeah. and I remember that trailer came out, and we all watched it at, you know, like 300 by 40 by 100 or whatever resolution we watched trailers at back then. And... Uh, and everybody that remembered XCOM from from back in the day said, "What the heck is this? Not XCOM, what the fuck is this?" Yeah. I, I was basically the opposite of basically what you were probably reacting reacting as. I was just yeah. basically going, "Oh my god, I am so done for this!" Whereas you probably thought, "What?" <laughs> I mean, the it was fuck an objectively cool trailer. Yeah, it was an objectively cool trailer, and I think if they hadn't saddled it with the XCOM IP, I think it probably would have been universally beloved. But I think the the, the, the thing that I remember, and the reason I bring it up, is because after the backlash, um, some 2K, I think this was like on an earnings call even, somebody mm. asked 2K, like, so why isn't uh, XCOM, the new XCOM strategy game? And they said, well, strategy games just aren't contemporary anymore. And, and you know, that person was probably right uh, at the time. It, it definitely felt like strategy games sort of got shunted off into, into the sort of hobbyist non-mainstream kind of this was pre-indie games but um 
Yeah, they, 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 there weren't a lot of big strategy games. And, and the idea of sort of AAA strategy games probably didn't really come around until so five again. Um, mm. And and I think I think you know we're we're in a renaissance now for sure, right? Like the the XCOM reboot, the Jake Solomon XCOM reboot, which is excellent, uh, and XCOM two, those games you know sat on the top of the Steam top sellers list consistently since they came out. Like there's definitely a huge like 2K and Sega with the Warhammer games uh, and the Football Manager titles, right? Like they've proven that there's a big audience for strategy games. They are very contemporary. So I and, and you know, Mo- Modern Wolf is very much trying to be, you know, an indie strategy publisher that that serves that I think underserved market of folks who love these sorts of games. Because there's definitely, you know, I, I I think the XCOM reboots probably showed a lot of folks that hey, you know, turn-based tactics games can be fun. And and I think they unshackled what was probably a, an old uh less sexy genre from a lot of people's preconceptions and yeah i think honestly like right now it's the best time in the history of the planet to be someone who likes computer strategy games right so yeah i think we're we're in a good place but yeah xcom definitely belongs to that golden era from the 90s definitely so it's funny that you did mention that 2010 reboot of xcom because i was actually just thinking about it today um before we started doing this um but the funny thing is, I was just thinking uh, something else in relation to it. And that, believe it or not, is Prey. Like, the Prey. arcane version of Prey. Oh, yeah, 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 I played it. Like, it feels very different mm. to what it previously was. Because, like, with XCOM, I, 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 I did think of it, yes... But, like, my memories of that trailer are a bit skewed now. But Ugh. I just think back to the sort of... For whatever reason, I just think of Prey now whenever I do sort of... When I did unlock that memory in my head because it feels so unfamiliar. But at the same time, there is that sort of part of me that really wanted to see what that uh, version would have looked like. Especially considering how that game was announced few months after Bioshock 2 it came out. Oh, right. And especially because it was Jordan Thomas. And I think what I'm trying to get at is how do you make a game that is now very different from what came before? Not necessarily between XCOM 94 and what would have been let's say for the lack of a better expression the immersive sim that 2k Marion was going to put out yeah like um let's say between the 94 version of XCOM and the 2012 XCOM like how do you sort of uh (laughs) no I've lost my complete train of thought um how how do you capture what made the original work how how, yeah Mm -hmm. how made the original basically work and then just sort of how does then the reinterpretation of that later down the line, like with Enemy Unknown 2012, sort mm. of capture that as well? I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's a, a cool question. And, 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 and really, the, the, the 2K Marin immersive sim that got 
half canceled, half sort of transmogrified into the Bureau or whatever happened to it. Hmm. The funny thing is, I think that might have worked if folks had given it a chance, right? Like, it wouldn't have... All right, let, let me back up. I think the thing that makes 1994 XCOM so durable, and I don't blame you for not going back and playing it now, because it's a pain to play, right? The, the UI is so outdated. The whole user experience is so onerous, right? Um, if you didn't have, like, a deep emotional connection to it the way those of us who played it back in, in the 90s did, I can't imagine anybody would play it now, right? It's so, it's so intense and, um, and clicky, right? Everything that you want to do takes four or five clicks. Um, but the, the reason the game survives, I think, in my minds and the minds of, of its fans all over the world, is because it was an immersive sim in its own way, right? Um, mm. You know, we talk about immersive sims like Deus Ex and the arcade games because I think it's very it's very easy. To, well, it's not easy. I, I think it's, very, it's relatively straightforward to make an immersive sim as a first-person shooter because it mimics your experience of the world. It's very easy to sort of inhabit the world. So you're walking around in it, you pick up notepads, you, you know open doors with, with keypads by punching the numbers in, right? It feels true to life. XCOM absolutely tried to do that, right? But it tried to do it... It tried to make you a weird bureaucrat, <laughs> right? Like, you were not a soldier in the XCOM project. You weren't an agent going around shooting aliens. You were the administrator, and it was up to you to hire and train the soldiers and equip them and make sure that your sponsor nations were happy in funding you. And, you know, a, a, an integral part of the game was reviewing graphs of reports that someone had collated for you of alien activity around the world and making sure that you were dealing with the threats in Colombia so you wouldn't lose funding from that country, right? Hmm. Um, and it really succeeded. It really succeeded in that immersion. Uh, I, I, I think folks don't talk about immersion in strategy games that much because they're so kind of cerebral and, and frequently their perspective gives you a literal detachment from the subjects, right? You're not viewing it through their eyes. You're seeing it from overhead usually. But in XCOM, like you're seeing it from overhead because you're the administrator. Mm. You're the boss. That is how you would see the action. And that's when mm. the report comes across your desk. That is exactly how you would see it. Mm. So basically, basically like you're a battlefield commander in a way. Like you're a general. Like just yeah. basically sort of go and run basically. Yeah, precisely. Um, and it's... If if the 2K game, the, the, the 2K Marine game, if it had created... If it had been an immersive sim that, you know put you into some role, not necessarily the role of the commander or the administrator, but if it had if it had been an immersive sim, I think it probably could have captured some of that XCOM magic, even though the gameplay was quite different. Hmm. Um, but that's also the thing I think that the that the Firaxis reboots do so well, right? They they change a lot of stuff about the mechanics, but they change them in a way that modernizes and and streamlines them in a good way right like that it is onerous to play 
94 XCOM. It's not to play 2012 XCOM or XCOM 2. It's very, um, they're, they're a joy to play. It's got a great UX and, uh, um, and, and, and it's super straightforward and accessible to, to, to their credit. But it, it preserves that feeling, right? That, that feeling of mystery, that dread of what's around the corner, um, the shock and, and amazement when you find a new alien you haven't run into before. Um, that, all of that, they capture all of that beautifully. And, and uh, yeah, I've, I've got nothing but good things to say about the reboots. They're really, they're really fantastic. How do you think uh, the old XCOM, for what it was able to do at the time, managed to sort of provide that sort of mystery to it? Yeah, I mean, the it was part of it was just the game was so deeply strange <laughs> in 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 its designs, the alien designs and and whatnot, right? Um, it was really plowing its own furrow um, in a way that you don't see that much anymore, right? Like, I, I wonder, like, if someone pitched me 1994 XCOM now and I was completely ignorant of, of the source material, I would probably look at it and go, all of these aliens are so wacky and different. Like, it's hard to kind of imagine that they're all part of the same, you know, invasion force the same conspiracy what draws them together right um mm. the game was so brave about having this big kaleidoscope of weird aliens scary aliens too scary aliens that um uh your first playthrough of XCOM, or your first couple of playthroughs as you get a little further each time like it, there was a real sense of like awe and wonder, right? Like when you see an alien that you've never seen before appear on the map, it would scare you, right? Because you don't know what it's going to do. What, what, you know, it, will this one, you know, fly through the air and snipe my guys from a, from a, from a distance? Will it, you know, run up and implant them with an egg the way the alien xenomorphs do right like all of these things are within the spectrum of possibility in 1994 XCOM, right so like it was that great diversity of 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 monsters i think that gave it that uh ability to surprise you just like because games were so relatively low fidelity back then you could make an enormous array of content for them um relatively easily right like you're only just making little pixel dudes uh so there was it was just chock full of stuff and there was always new stuff to find and you mentioned that sort of horror as well and like tying that back in with something else that you said as well like that horror um that horror of just feeling like own like you sort of mentioned it like that sort of horror of what's going to happen to my crewmates the these these teammates of mine that i've yes. invested so much time with so much time uh, uh i've invested into them yeah absolutely. and just in and in case they die or something dramatic happens to them it's like no yeah like, yeah yeah, yeah. You just you feel actually really attached to them as well especially yeah. if they're characters that you helped create Absol no, absolutely, right? And I, I think that's that really is part of the core experience. And again, that is something that the the Firaxis reboots do so well, right? They give you lots of customization options uh, for for the troops, so that to to really build that 
kind of emotional bond with them. Um, yeah, it's and, and you know you will make tactically unsound decisions based on your affection for the characters, right? Like you will do things that are probably the objectively wrong thing to do because you you want to save your troops, which is great. Like that is a that is a fun problem, I think, for for the strategy game player, and I think it's a testament to how effective the game is. I mean, mm. I um. Back back in the '90s, uh, you would get the officially licensed uh, strategy guides mm. for games, usually made by like Prima and stuff. And mm. I remember buying the XCOM official strategy game guide, mm. um, and and the guy who wrote the strategy guide obviously loved XCOM uh, a lot, but he was ruthless in a way that I couldn't be. Right, and so like, there's an alien. One of the aliens in, in XCOM is, is the Chrysalid, which you'll know from the reboot. Um, and the Chrysalid has only a melee attack, but if it melee attacks your guy, it turns your soldier into a zombie, and after a couple of turns, that zombie turns into another Chrysalid. So the number of Chrysalids on the map can explode <laughs> quite quickly, right? And so sometimes in, in the 1994 XCOM, you'll get called to, like in the reboot, you'll get called to a terror site, and the terror site's full of civilians. Hmm. And I remember reading in the strategy guide, so this guy is writing about, you know, if you have chrysalids at a terror site full of civilians, the smartest thing you can do is to kill every civilian you see. Just level the map, bring the heaviest weapons you have, just, just flatten the entire map and you will win. You'll take a score penalty for killing civilians, but just remember... And this is exactly what it said. Every civilian is a potential chrysalid. And I remember reading that and thinking, I don't play XCOM like you, pal. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, sentimentalism. <laughs> <laughs> no. But like that, I mean, that to me is, it just shows you, I think, what an effective game XCOM is, right? Because it can create that kind of emotional response in us. Um yeah, it's 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 yeah, I love it. It's 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 amazing when you put it like that. Like just uh, just it's probably the only game where you probably think like, yeah, fuck these civilians, fuck them, <laughs> they die, they right, die. Right, for the greater good, you all have to die. Like that's the thing. Like it's probably for the greater like good. Yeah, it's like a morally defensible. Just sort of like that. Sort of choose to take. Yeah. Just sort of like that Hoffa's mentality for the greater good. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to sort of go back slightly, um, you mentioned how as well that um, back in the nineties, um, like a lot of PC players were like the skewed slower games like XCOM. What do you think? Yeah, that I'm, is? I'm I'm way out over my skis. I don't have any any actual ah. data to back that up, but I'm pretty sure it's right. <laughs> well, well, not well, not uh, mindset then. Like, why do you think that is? Oh, brother, I'll tell you, it's because we're getting slower. <laughs> I mean, it's no question about it, right? Um, you know, I, in my, in my early 30s, I played tons of Battlefield hmm. um, and, and a fair bit of Counter-Strike. And nowadays, I'll buy the new Battlefield out of brand loyalty, I guess. 
I'll dive into the multiplayer for a week. I'll get my butt absolutely handed to me <laughs> by younger, faster, quicker thinking, quicker, uh, quicker fingered uh, players, and then I'll think, all right, time to time to go back to Crusader Kings three, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's definitely part of it, right? I mean, it's all, it's also that as you as I get older, I find that I want less adrenaline out of my games. Mm. And, and when I play games, it is to exercise my brain a little differently and to unwind and not to let off steam in the same way, I guess. That's mm. my hypothesis, anyway. There's a bit of a... It's definitely a lot more noticeable in something like um, the Bureau, anyway. Mm. But it feels like there there is definitely somewhat of a G-Man mentality in the strategy XCOM games as well. Um, but, like, at least certainly from the Firaxis XCOM games, there's definitely an element there. And with Marin's game that came out a few years later, um, that is more prevalent because that's the main focus of the game. But in terms of the original XCOM, like, how much was that a focus? I don't know, really. Because the... The thing... The thing about XCOM is that it's not really a power fantasy. uh, At least not at first, right? Like, you are... The... The kind of extraordinary thing that the game manages to do is that it puts you into situations where you are hopelessly outclassed all the time. And somehow, we didn't all collectively bounce off of that in frustration. I'm not sure a game could get away with it today, because I think expectations are different. But, you know, the, the first few times, your first few missions in XCOM, you're going to get hosed, because, you know, your, your weapons are paltry relative to the aliens' weapons. And especially the first few times you're playing, you d- don't know how these aliens behave, right? The aliens behave uh, uh, in unexpected ways. They have abilities that aren't immediately apparent. So if you're going into the game completely fresh, you don't know what's going on. So you're really an underdog. You're really an underdog in XCOM, slowly fighting your way up to eventually achieve parity with the aliens. Um but you're never you're never a powerful sort of authority figure kind of imposing your will onto the the game really you're always up against it and you're always um you're you're fighting a losing battle right that that if you don't make some audacious moves to finish the game you will lose right Mm. um so that to me sort of yeah it it never feels like a power fantasy the way you know a modern first person shooter does where you're you know the superman uh mowing down hundreds of people and 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 uh shrugging off injuries you know it's a game it's a game where you're going to lose <laughs> a lot and that's part that's part of the appeal i think it's funny that you mentioned that sort of win lose mentality of it, it, it's pr- it's a massive factor of those XCOM games because at the end of the day it is still a game of chance. Yeah, a lot of there's definitely quite a bit of RNG in it. And 
I guess, in, in trying to tie that into a question, <laughs> it's more of a sort of, how do you sort of struggle with, uh, not struggle, but like, how do you sort of come to terms with the fact that it could either just go any way, either way, basically? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a good question. I, I, I think part of that is just that I think to some extent consumer tastes have evolved since the game came out um, to some extent. Um, it's, it's definitely, it, it's a game where, it's a game where you can do everything right and still lose, <laughs> I guess. I think partly, partly because of that power imbalance, right, where the aliens are much more powerful than you. Mm. And if you don't keep up with the power progression, like, they will just leave you in the dust. Um, um, and I think, yeah, I, I, I think in 1994, I think, I think that was probably plenty controversial in 1994, right? Because I think there's a, there's a big group of folks like me who, who remember XCOM very fondly and loved it. I don't think it was a world-changing commercial success uh, back in 1994. So it's possible that this was not even a great formula even then but yeah um well why why do you think it was not a, as great as success commercially as it probably should have been well i mean it's 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 an inaccessible game it's it's a tough game um it's you know there's no tutorial mm. you have to read the manual the manual is pretty thick i can still remember the manual very very clearly right it was like a little a little trade paperback book <laughs> about the size of a postcard and and probably a, a third of an inch half an inch thick um it was uh, uh it's it, it's an intimidating game it's an intimidating game and, and i remember you know i had uh i had friends who played pc games in 1994 in in, in, in uh in school and i remember you know making copies of the floppy disks as you did back then and and giving giving the floppy disk to my friend saying listen you got to play this it's absolutely amazing and no one that i gave the game to had any any pleasure from it at all right everybody came back to me and said this game sucks um, so it's you know it is it is it's an acquired taste it's not for everybody um and i can understand why you would bounce off it right it's it's, it's really hard it's really unforgiving all of the stuff that we've, we've just been talking about, right? About how how unforgiving it is, how how there isn't really much of a power fantasy there, that you're always an underdog. Um, I think it was Tom Chick from, from Quarter to Three who, who described, like, the ideal strategy game AI is one that loses gracefully, right? Mm. <laughs> like, what, I think what people ultimately want out of a strategy game is to win. And, yeah. and they want the AI to put a convincing fight up, um, but they want to win. And and XCOM is a game where you where you can lose, um, uh, no question about it. And 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 even if you do win, which you know I, I don't want to make out that it's it, it's the hardest game in the world. It's very possible to win XCOM. I've, I've done it plenty of times, and I'm not a genius or even close. But uh, even when you do win, there's going to be ups and downs, and there's going to be setbacks. And I I I think. I think most people don't want that kind of experience out of a game. I think people play games for escapism, for 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 to live out power fantasies, and and and, and to be powerful and, and and to win. And and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like no. that's, um, 
that's what games do for folks. And that's what I want quite a lot of the time. But when I want that challenge uh, from something like XCOM, nothing else will do, really. Hmm. Let's touch on properly then the modern XCOM games and what Fraxis has done over the last nine years with the original mm. XCOM, that, that game's expansion, XCOM 2, um, and the more recent XCOM that came out, when was it? It was about a year or two ago, anyway? It was, yeah, it was last spring. Uh, Chimera Squad. March or April, yeah. What Firaxis has managed to do in terms of providing such fresh life into those games, like, I never, it goes without saying, but I never got to play the original XCOM, because, like mm. you say, it's now very inaccessible, not just probably in terms of playing it, but, like, it's very hard to sort of get hold of. Um, mm. uh, from what I understand, anyway. But, like, when 2012 XCOM came out, this was still, like, a few years after what we were thinking 2K Marin's game was going to be this big, massive, first-person sim immersive, immersive sim from yeah. Jordan Thomas off the back of Bioshock 2 rather than what it was going to become as a third-person shooter with the brew. XCOM, for me feels like a fr not just so much a brand new way to explore that world but just so much a brand new way to to explore the sort of what i'll what i'll call the thinking game the mm. thinking game in which you really need to be on your toes here mentally in terms of the decisions you make your strategies and stuff like that there like yes. how, how do you think those games have sort of dealt with those things as well as upholding the legacy of what um, came before with the original XCOM. Yeah, I mean I mean I don't I don't I don't know that I have enough kind of praise to lavish on the reboots really. I think I think I think they're masterpieces and and, and two especially for me. XCOM XCOM two the uh, the the sequel I think is kind of the high watermark of the entire series. I I, I mean, I, you know, you invited me onto the show to talk about my favorite game, and it's definitely XCOM from nineteen ninety four. But that is at least fifty percent down to nostalgia and 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 emotional attachment, right? Like I think objectively speaking, I think the XCOM reboots are better games. Um, what Jake and, and the Firaxis guys did, right? There's the, they took a very sort of Sid Meier-y approach to XCOM, and they said, because the original XCOM is, <clears throat> it is, <clears throat> excuse me, it is a simulation game, right? It is a simulation um, that attempts to model as realistically as possible all of the aspects of running this big, you know, multinational uh, defense organization, right? You have a budget, your, you, you, every dollar you get comes from your sponsor nations. Um, on the battlefield, you know, every soldier has uh, time units that model their, their speed and, and, Every step they take reduces their time units by a certain amount based on the terrain they're moving through, right? It's a very crunchy, detailed simulation game. Um, and, and the XCOM reboot is not, right? The XCOM reboot is um, a tabletop game. 
yeah. in many ways. Yeah. It's a, it, it's about chunky Sid Meier style interesting decisions where the the decision space is more is a bit more limited in some ways, hmm. but the decisions are more interesting. And um, I I think personally, I, 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 I as a piece of game design, that's probably a superior game. And and the what they did was in changing the game mechanically to be more of a, a board game really they they did that whilst preserving the spirit and the feel of the original you are still that underdog fighting hopelessly outclassed fighting these aliens uh you are exploring into the unknown and being afraid and discovering new aliens and uh uh, getting attached to your troops and creating a narrative of, of, about their actions in a way that the game now supports explicitly, right? With with medals and promotions and and little skill trees for the troops hmm. uh, and and troop customization, right? So it's yeah. I mean, I could go on and on, but I think it's it is a beautiful refinement of the XCOM formula in a way that is sort of classic Firaxis and classic sort of Sid Meier school of, of strategy game hmm. design. Uh, but it's also done by people who just freaking love the original XCOM and they understood what made it great. Mm. And they carried those aspects of the game forward into the reboots beautifully. Mm. How, how do you think Jake Solomon and his team sort of learned from Sid Ma- I mean, like, I guess you sort of alluded to it there, but like, how do you think mm. sort of Jake Solomon's team sort of learned off the sort of school of thought of Sid Meier the Civilization franchise as well, and then brought yeah. that into the modern XCOM games. Like, how do you think that sort of conversation went down when they were first sort of outlining these mo- new modern games? Well, you can, I think you can see it to a certain extent from the outside, right? Like, there's, there's a, you know, uh, no, no, no single episode of any podcast is long enough to talk about the Sid Meier School of Game Design mm-hmm. comprehensively, right? But but there's a couple of, you know, there's a couple of things that you know from the, the, the from Sid Meier games, right? Like one of the things that Sid always says is uh, that there's kind of no point in creating little modifiers that give you plus ten percent this or plus five that. Like mm-hmm. Sid always says, you know, double it, have it, or don't do anything, right? Make big, chunky numbers that people understand. Like, what's the point? Like, I, I think one of... Like, the, the marquee, probably, example of this. Um, you know, in the original XCOM, every soldier has time units. Mm. And time units determine how far they can move, how many times they can shoot in a turn, right? And so, like, a soldier has 80 time units, let's say, uh, every turn. And walking one tile of normal terrain costs four time units and walking one tile of challenging terrain like a wheat field costs six or eight time units. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly. You can already see that in order to plan out your turn for this one soldier, and you might have eight or 12 or 16 in your squad, you have to do some pretty crunchy math, <laughs> right? Yeah. So you have to say, okay, it's going to cost me 24 time units to get from here to there which maybe leaves me enough time to shoot. I've got it, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of arithmetic. Mm. If you if you are, you know, not playing by the seat of your pants, which you certainly can do. Mm. But if, if you're planning your turns out, it's it's a lot of sort of processor time 
for your brain in mm. the original XCOM. And so you can see the Sid Meier approach in the new XCOM, right? Time units, forget it, they're gone. No more time units, no more of that. Now every soldier gets two actions. Hmm. Two actions every turn. And you can use both of those actions to move. And you can it's move really far. Shh, quiet, Siri. <laughs> you, you can use both of those actions to move. Or you can move and then shoot, right? Hmm. Or you can shoot and not move. And it uses both of your actions, right? Now, planning your turn gets really simple. Because, you know, you mouse over your soldier. You see how far they can move. And now you can... Pl and And... Even things like reducing the squad size, right? So, like in the default XCOM, uh, you know the, the the Sky Ranger, which is the the default transport plane you have at the beginning of original XCOM, mm. it holds fourteen people, right? Mm. So you land in your first mission to go fight some aliens, and you've got fourteen people to move around, which is a lot of people. A lot of every turn takes a while when you're moving fourteen people around. And so the reboot XCOM gives you four people. So four people plus two actions for each of those every turn, that's a smaller, much more easy to grasp amount of information and planning. And I think that's that's what makes XCOM so successful, right? I, I, you've seen a lot of a lot of folks have have tried to to kind of capture some of what made XCOM so great. Uh, there's been there's been a real renaissance in turn-based tactics games, which look, it's my favorite genre. I think that's delightful. But oh. the thing that a lot of them kind of fail to grasp is that the reason the XCOM reboot is so accessible and has sold millions of units is because it's it's very easy to grasp, right? Oh. And, and, and it's very streamlined. And it's not in a way that reduces complexity, because it's still a very complex game. But mm. it's you don't have to break out your graphing calculator to figure out what you're going to do this turn, right? Mm. I think the way you sort of described it there, more than anything, it's that way to sort of sum up at least the new, newer XCOM games, is that it's very much a numbers game as well. Yes. Yeah, like, for sure. Yeah, like that's uh, it's honestly the best way to sort of describe it because you, you're not just so much thinking in terms of where to go, how do I keep my team alive. You're adding math to complexion as well. Again, it's basically a numbers game as well. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely true, right? Like, um, XCOM is a very sexy presentation layer on top of a bunch of dice rolls, <laughs> basically. Right? So basically, XCOM is a D&D &D yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, I think if you want to think about it that way, sure. I, I, I think uh, I think that's about right. I mean, and really, to, I mean, to, to get back to one of the things you, you mentioned earlier, like, how do you deal with the RNG? Like, the, the thing that XCOM, I think, when you get good at XCOM, the thing that you... And, I, you know, and I'm, I'm probably average at XCOM, I would say, but like the, the w when you start to get good at the game, it's when you realize that I need to plan around failure, right? Like if everything is riding on this one shot and this one dice roll, you're either in a desperate situation or you've done something terribly wrong or both, <laughs> right? So it's about, it's about good planning and foresight, I guess, as much as anything. Hmm. Um, uh it's interesting that we sort of discussed the school of thought between how Jake Solomon does XCOM and sort of how he's brought that sort of line of thinking over from Sid Meier. Yeah. But another, another sort of question I want to ask in, in relation to that is how does 
what Jack Solomon does. How does he pull? What does he pull from the uh, Julian Gollop school of thought when it comes to designing games like XCOM, the original XCOM, and then bringing that over to new XCOM? Yeah, I mean, definitely, the 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 thing that the 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 Gollop brothers and and, and the Julian Gollop kind of had with that original XCOM was that incredible atmosphere and those wonderful themes, right? Like the the fact that XCOM doesn't lean on any discernible kind of tropes uh, or or even a unified theme for its aliens, I think is 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 kind of a masterstroke because the the incredible diversity and the capacity to surprise that you get from those aliens, right? Like it, it still feels fresh, like to me, and fresh and interesting. You know, to, what is it, twenty odd, thirty odd years later? Um, it's uh, that is very much present in, in the new XCOM, right? Like that uh, that that great diversity in, in the roster of the aliens and, and the interesting kind of emergent problems you need to solve when there's a, a mix of aliens kind of on the battlefield that's definitely you know brought whole cloth from the original XCOM and you know as much as the sort of minute to minute gameplay is, 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 is very different because it's more Sid Meier-y and less simulation-y the whole package right is still very much I think in line with what Julian Golub was trying to accomplish hmm. and the second one, right, XCOM 2, which is so thematically different, right, and, and, and for folks who haven't played it, the reboots, XCOM 2 does this really bold thing, and it uh, it starts by, by, by postulating that you lost XCOM 1, <laughs> right? So you lost, the aliens took over, and now you're fighting a guerrilla war, right? And it takes that, it takes that underdog feeling that was definitely present in... in, in 94 XCOM and, and the reboot 2012 XCOM, and it makes it now ever more even more explicit, and, and, and it puts that to the forefront. Now, now you you literally are scrappy underdogs, fighting a, an insurgency against this this bigger, better equipped uh, uh, alien force. And I think, yeah, if, if if like that's obviously very different, I think, from the the themes of the first game, but it captures that feeling. Uh, that the first game gave you and kind of takes it to its logical extreme and it's great. It's really good. So yeah, I, there's you know there's, there's definitely a lot of Julian Gollop still in those games. I think. Mm -hmm. um, bringing up Julian Gollop again, like I had mentioned obviously as well, Phoenix Point as mm. some sort of spiritual successor to what came before with XCOM. Like, how did you find that? Um, I mean, it kind of pains me to say this, but I didn't, I didn't like it very much. And I think, um, I think, I mean, I, I was super excited about it. I, I, I kickstarted, or it wasn't on Kickstarter, it was on Fig, I think. Yeah, I, 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 I get it. I think it was on Kickstarter. I think, it, I, I, I vaguely remember it being on No, it was, it was on, it was on Fig. It was on Fig, the, the other crowdsourcing platform. I seem to remember, because I, I, I had to sign up for a Fig account. I don't think I've done any before or since. Mm. Um. But yeah, whatever it was, it was crowdfunded. I definitely kicked in for it. And yeah, I mean, it's... 
to me, I think it just sort of highlighted the extent to which that 1994 design had fallen out of step with what you expect from a game these days, right? Like it went back to, it was very much a simulation, right? And not an abstracted game. And as a result, it was a bit fiddly and a bit slow to play and kind of the, what, one of the things one of the one of the things, and now you're asking me about Phoenix Point. Now I'm talking about the XCOM reboots again. But one of the things the reboots do so well, right, is the way it captures the things that were happening in your head when you were playing XCOM in 1994, and it makes them text, right? It puts them on the screen, hmm. and and so all of the little animations and and sort of. Uh, Cutscenes, these little micro cutscenes that you know you order a soldier to to jump through a window and you get you know a three second cutscene of your soldier kind of vaulting herself through the window and smashing through the glass, right? Um, or you know the the a critical like low percentage shot that you take against an alien on the other side of the map and it hits and you you get this animation of of uh, watching that unfold. That injected so much drama into what was actually a pretty slow-paced, right, turn-based game. And XCOM doesn't feel slow. I think the reboot XCOMs don't feel slow because they accentuate those dramatic moments and, and, and create so much tension. And Phoenix Point, because it's so, I think, rooted in that 1994 design, it feels less dramatic and more cerebral um, and, and just a bit slower and fiddlier. And, and for me, it just kind of shows you that you can't go home again, right? I mean, uh, you can't do a game from 1994 now and, and expect people to... I mean, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of people that love Phoenix Point, but I think it's kind of undeniable that... Uh, it didn't quite capture the same level of success as XCOM, and that's just because it's just not a contemporary game. And, and uh, it's shame because I'd love to play more Julian Gollop games, and, and I'm sure I'm sure there will be more Julian Gollop games. But but I'm uh, yeah, I'm hoping he can borrow a bit more inspiration from what the Firaxis guys have done if he's going to do another turn-based tactical game. Hmm. Um, what else do you like about XCOM that we've not discussed so far? Hmm, man. <laughs> I mean, what? I mean, what? What? What don't I like? I mean, I think the 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 aesthetics and the uh, the design of the universe, I think, are so appealing. Right? The 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 vehicles which are fanciful but feel kind of grounded um the big chunky weapons uh that probably aren't terribly realistic but because they're big and chunky it's very easy to tell at a glance you know just looking at your soldiers kind of what they got mm -hmm. um the um yeah, the, the, the look and feel of the game to me is 
it's just iconic, right? It's probably not a beautiful game. Mm. 94 XCOM, like it's so garish and there doesn't seem to be any sort of unifying aesthetic that ties together the aliens, which are also disparate from one another. But uh, that to me is part of the charm. Um, so I love that. The music is fantastic. Just absolutely fantastic, like bar none. Um, the 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 battlescape soundtracks are frightening <laughs> and full of tension and and the sound design of the game in general i think for the time is just sensational right um one of the great things that the game does is it blacks out your screen when it's the enemy's turn and you only get flashes of what the enemy is doing when they come within visual range of your soldiers mm. so that creates this wonderfully tense uh sort of fog of war right so as soon as you hit end turn there's that really ominous music playing and you have what is essentially a black screen with some key art on it uh and you hear the aliens right you hear footsteps you hear weapons being fired if you're in a, a terror site, you hear the screams of the civilians as the aliens kill them, and you can't see anything. Hmm. And then when you do see something, you, you know, it's surprising and shocking uh, uh, and unexpected. Like that, all of, the, you know, all of that, I think, is kind of a melange of the sound design and some really clever thinking about how, how turns work and, and, and the music and all of, and the aesthetic and, yeah. I could talk for a long time about the game, man. It's <laughs> it's really it's really great. Um, to use your own words, then, um, what didn't you like about it? I mean, in 1994, nothing. In 1994, I thought it was the greatest game ever made, and I, I thought it was perfect. Um, in in 2021. I, I, you know, I still go back and play it. So there's a wonderful, so if you buy original XCOM on Steam or GOG and, and you can then download open XCOM, which is an open source project that attempts to uh, insert some modern conveniences into the UI, you know, higher, higher screen resolutions and, and a few kind of common sense quality of life improvements that uh, the original devs never had a chance to make. Um, so I go back, I, I play Open XCOM, you know, probably a couple of times a year. Um, and now I play it and I think, ah, it's a bit tedious moving 14 guys around the battlefield one at a time. It's a bit, it's a, you know, I, I know that if I'm gonna sit down and play XCOM for an hour, I'm gonna play maybe one mission. Right, and and I know there's going to be a big investment of time, and and there is a there's a bit of a slog there, hmm. but I I I remember it so fondly, and I'm so attached to it that I I, I do it, and I have I have a great time, right? But I I, I think yeah, it's um, it's its flaws are apparent now, only in comparison to to what has followed it and and what was inspired by it. I. I I think to call those things flaws kind of at the time would have been unfair. So, top three XCOM games, what would they be? Obviously 94 XCOM at the top. If I had to guess, <laughs> it would be something like uh, XCOM 2012 in second, and then XCOM 2 in third, right? 
I mean, I don't know. I, th I, th I think XCOM 2 Ooh. probably... XCOM 2 probably competes for the top slot, if you ask me. Um, okay, well, we're going to have to make an entirely different episode here, so... <laughs> it really does. It really does. I mean, it, it's really sensational. I mean, the... So, original XCOM, obviously, I think, is... is, is, is it's right up there and quite possibly kind of the undisputed champ. XCOM 2 is, I think, close. Mm. Um, 2012 XCOM, I think, is inferior to XCOM 2, if only because XCOM 2 introduces so many kind of quality of life improvements and, and user experience improvements that it's actually hard to go back to 2012 XCOM for me. Because the whole time I'm playing it, I think, ah, you know, this would be easier in XCOM 2, that would be easier in XCOM 2. So XCOM 2, I, th I think, is... is, is, is probably better than than 2012 XCOM. And then Chimera Squad, I have a lot of time for. It's really excellent. Mm. Um, it's very different. Um, it's almost... It, it's, it's XCOM meets Into the Breach, but but it, it, in a way that I find incredibly compelling. It's super good. Um, and then kind of from the original series, sort of XCOM Terror from the Deep, I know a lot of fans, a lot of XCOM fans love it. I, I find it deeply tedious to play it's uh you know the gollops had nothing to do with it uh Microprose just kind of took it off their hands and, and handed it to another creative team to do and you can tell right like the it exacerbates the flaws of XCOM in a way that is super unflattering right like if if the problem with original XCOM is that it's slow um Terror from the Deep says, okay, now missions are going to be two to three times longer and uh, and bigger, right? You know, like there, there would be uh, cruise ship missions where you would spend an hour clearing the first deck of the cruise ship and then you'd get to the, the bottom of the first deck and it would open up the next layer, the engineering part of the cruise ship, and then that's another hour, right? So, yeah, Terror from the Deep is bad. Pretty much every Microprose XCOM game after that, you might as well just forget. XCOM Enforcer, ugh, XCOM Interceptor, I played maybe once for 20 minutes. Um, all of all those other ones are trash. But yeah, original XCOM, XCOM 2, right up there neck and neck. And then I'd say XCOM 2012 and then Chimera Squad. But that's not a knock on Chimera Squad because it's really good. <laughs> Honorable mentions. Go for it. Uh, Crusader Kings two, Crusader Kings three might 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 eclipse that at some point. Loved loved that game. Um, it is sort of a combination of a strategy game and an RPG in a way that I think had never been done before, and I think probably still quite hasn't been done by anybody else. Um, just fantastic, wonderful game. Um, Paradox's best game bar none, I think. And, and, and that's saying something because a lot of Paradox games are just wonderful. Um, I think Battle Brothers uh, is, is a nice successor to the XCOM formula um, by, by Overhyped Games. came out a couple of years ago. Just wonderful stuff. Um, uh, you know, pr preserves a lot of, of, of those aspects of XCOM uh, that we all loved while making them a bit more accessible um, and, and adding its own twist to the formula. So love that. Um, 
football manager. <laughs> I'm, I'm freaking love football manager. That's got to be up there. Um, I have. Uh, um, I I really really uh, kind of deeply loved Ghost of Tsushima last year. Spent a lot of time with that. Um, kind of see see that it has a lot of flaws, but sort of loved it anyway. I I, I grew up watching uh, samurai movies with my dad, so that really kind of that, that game kind of spoke to me. Um, and like your Twitter avatar as well, it's basically Kurosawa anyway, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's Toshiro Mifuni. Uh, oh okay. From from uh, yeah, but but from your Jimbo Kurosawa film. Okay. Um, yeah, somebody. Uh, Somebody came up to me at, yeah, I guess it was EGX a couple of years ago. Yeah, the one the one you and I talked at. Mm. Somebody came up to me and said, "Oh, you're you're, you're Fernando Rizzo." I said, "God, I, how do you know that?" I said, "Oh, well, you look just like your Twitter avatar." And I thought that's the greatest <laughs> compliment anyone has ever given me because it's not remotely true, right? This guy thought that that picture of Tashiro Mifuni was me, which, oh my God, if only. Um, yeah, I mean those those are. Those are definitely all like I would I, uh, I I know this sounds silly coming from somebody who works in the, the games industry, but I just love games and I play I play a lot of them and I have played a lot of them and and to make a definitive list of my favorites I would struggle because there's so much wonderful stuff out there, uh, you know I could go on and on FTL Into the Breach, uh, Safe Skylines like you know there's uh, Dishonored, I love Dishonored. Um, I bought Dishonored two in the Steam Lunar New Year sale, and I'm putting an hour in here and there whenever I can. Really enjoying that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so much great stuff. There is actually one franchise that I'm quite surprised that you've not mentioned yet. That is quite that? considerable in its absence because. It was the other game you were sort of thinking upon yourself on what to talk about, and that was Civilization. Oh, yeah. Well, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's it, right? Like, I guess no no list I make could be really complete. Yeah, no, I mean, Civ would be up there, too, right? And then if you asked me to pick which Civ, I would really struggle. Uh, I what was, think it, what was, it, was it you mentioned to me? I think it was Civ 4, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, Civ, Civ 4... It's funny, right? Because I, I, I think Civ Four it's, it's a near contemporary of the original XCOM, isn't it? And I probably feel similarly about it in that I recognize now that it's probably not as accessible as, as five or six. But I still you know, I still fire it up every once in a while. Hmm. Um, and and there are some things that four does. Um, that five and six simply just don't do and and Kind of un, un, unlike XCOM versus the reboot XCOMs, I think there's actually some ways in which Civ Four is probably clearly superior. I mm. think to, to Five and Six. Not to take anything away from Five and Six because they're both great. Mm. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't get me started on Civ, or we'll have to do all another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Maybe, maybe down the line, I might just bring you back to the <laughs> entire Civilization episode. No. <laughs> oh, man. Well, come back to the well if you do. I've got plenty to say about that. <laughs> um, so, um, top three games ever. What would they be? Obviously, XCOM 94 is a top. What would be yeah. two and three? 
Oh, Lord. Um, oh, man. Um, you know, yeah, I, 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 I think if you, if you put a gun to my head, I think I would probably say Civ Four is number two. And then I'm going to play completely against type here and come entirely out of left field and tell you that number three would probably be Rocket League. Wait, what? <laughs> that is literally out of yeah. So look, I know that I'm a strategy games guy and I, I, I founded a strategy games publisher, but you know, uh, uh, I'm, 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 I'm a real omnivore when it comes to games. And I think if, if I had an accounting of the actual hours I had spent playing games over the last 10 years, I think Rocket League would be pretty close to the top. I've, I've put, um, over the years, I've put a lot of time into Rocket League. I haven't played much in the last few months, really, but um, I, I adore it. I adore it. And, and it was a game that I, I, I cared about getting good at. Mm. Um, and, and I don't think I ever really did. because <laughs> Probably because I'm too old and slow. But, uh, yeah, no, I, 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 that's another game I just absolutely adore. And, and just in terms of the amount of joy I've extracted from it, it's got, I, I think it's almost certainly in my top three, yeah. God, I think I need to go back and play Rocket League again because it's been so long. I just want to see the night and day difference it's now become, basically. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, the core kind of moment-to-moment experience of it is still, I think, fundamentally the same, which is fine because it's perfect, right? Uh, all the metagame stuff around it has definitely evolved and, 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 and the, the sort of non-game part of it, right, with the... You know the the way the shop works and the crates and all that stuff. That's all obviously changed and probably for the better. But um, the the core, you know, car soccer is <laughs> just it's great. It's really good. The way you call it car soccer, I just basically call it Top Gear football at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that too. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, come check out what we're doing at Modern Wolf. You know, we're at uh, modernwolf.net. We've got a Twitter account. We've got an Instagram account. Um, we released three really good games last year. Uh, all got tons of positive reviews on Steam. Uh, Necronator Dead Wrong. Uh, Astronauts, which is, is still in early access. Um, uh, a noir spaceship life sim from the creator of Neo Scavenger. Uh, Cosmocrats, which... Uh, came out on PC in November, but it's coming to Switch very soon. Um, and we've also got uh, Rogue State Revolution. I don't know when you're going to air this thing. Uh, I would say probably around April-ish time. Oh, in April. Well, so if you're going to put this up in April, then Rogue State Revolution has just been released <laughs> <laughs> at a date that we, at this point in time, we haven't announced yet, but it's it's coming out very soon and, and is already available to buy if you're listening to this now. So yeah, Rogue State Revolution. It's it's a game that borrows from Civilization a lot. It borrows from City Builders. Um, it's a political strategy game where you're the president of a fictional Middle Eastern country and trying to balance the needs of all of the different uh, groups in your country, uh, satisfy your neighbors or don't, 
uh, deal with global powers like the U.S. and China and Russia and, and kind of forge the best future you can for your country. And then uh, you'll probably lose. And then you could start over. And it's got a bit of a roguelike sort of loop to it. Uh, we're calling it the first political roguelike, which probably doesn't make sense to people. But it's a, it's a fantastic game. And we're really proud of it and really excited about it. So that's, that's, the, that's the thing. You should all go run and purchase if you're listening to this. Rogue State Revolution. My own personal stuff, I mean, you know, you could you could follow me on Twitter. I'm Chumsky, C-H-O-O-M-S-K-Y. I do a lot of bad dad jokes, and uh, uh, that's basically it. And retweet Modern Wolf a lot. <laughs> but yeah, that's me. I just double-checked. It is going to be around April time you get out. I think around towards the end of April anyway. So, Perfect. Perfect. Uh, yeah, April 21st. Yes. Good. Well, go go buy Rogue State Revolution on PC and go buy Cosmocrats on Switch. Thanks for listening to My Favourite Game, a podcast by Play Diaries where people in the games industry come on to talk of their favourite game. If you want to listen to future episodes of My Favourite Game or press play before they go live publicly, please consider subscribing to our $2 tier on Patreon at patreon.com slash playdiaries. Next week, Victoria Tran on Undertale. And then the week after that, Kitty Crawford on Undertale. Yes, for the first time in the show's history, two separate guests will talk of the same game in the one season across the next two weeks. It's going to be fun. For more details, visit playdiaries.com slash myfavoritegame. Until next week, bye-bye.